Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You're tuned to BFM. You're tuned to Future Sense here with Nick Jeans and a special guest co-host Ross Hill in the studio. But also on the line from Edinburgh in Scotland, we have my normal co-host of the show, Steve McDonald. Uh, there, how are you going, Mr. McDonald, over there in Scotland? My goodness. Hello, Nick, and hello, Ross. I'm doing well, thanks. <laughs> Good to hear from you. You are on your way home. How are you feeling about that? First of all, is it looking like you've got a clear path through the various closures and airports? to uh, back to Australia, to home turf? Yeah, I'm, look, I'm feeling good about it at the moment. I'm mm. all booked and uh, the airlines have been quite responsive. So I've had to change my plans, uh, as you know. Yeah. And uh, every every time something has changed, the airlines have very, very quickly advised me that a flight was cancelled, mm. uh, et cetera. So... Um, yeah, I'm feeling okay about that. Yes, we, we, we mentioned, as you heard, I think, about uh, Dubai International Airport. For one minute one minute of the last 24 hours was completely closed, and they sort of changed that because you're coming back through Dubai, but clearly that's not an airport that they can just close carte blanche like that uh, in one fell swoop. No, that's right. They must have realised that I was coming through there. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Now, you've been you've been away for a few weeks. You've, you were in the United States. You are in Austin, Texas. You were in uh, West Virginia. You were in Washington, you've been Iceland in Reykjavik, now you are in Scotland. Uh, these are, other than I guess the US, which is in a bit of a panic mode at the moment, as its uh, it, its uh, cases seem to be sort of accelerating farewell, the curve so to speak, uh, but you've been in some of these places. What's the feeling as you've been travelling generally and as these few weeks that you've been away have, uh, have transpired? Look, it really hasn't been too bad. Mm. Um, I mean, most recently in Reykjavik and Iceland, it was pretty calm there. You know, people were uh, isolating. There weren't many people on the streets. Some of the shops were closed, but everything was very sensible, and uh, all of the shops still had stock, so I didn't see any evidence of panic buying, which is great. Mm. Um, here in Edinburgh, uh, again, you know, it's, it seems reasonable. There, it's Sunday here, so... I'm not too sure how many shops are normally open on a Sunday in the city, but uh, certainly the cafes were doing takeaway only. Yes, which has just come in, as you know, just just come into effect here in Australia from midday today, or in New South Wales anyway, that same same regulation. Yeah. Yeah. It was a beautiful, sunny spring day here in Edinburgh, Mm. and there were a lot of people out catching some sun, which was great, Mm. and uh, and I was being a a, uh, responsible, uh, socially distant tourist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Very good. Well, in the theme of, uh, and the line is reasonably good, it's it's break, it's sort of got that sort of long distance noise in it, but it's not too bad. So we'll see how we go. We'll take some significant breaks. But we wanted to talk with you today, Steve, about the, the themes that dominate, so to speak, this show over time. And that's really about consciousness change, about change of paradigm on the planet, which would seem uh, as tragic and as difficult and as crazy as this whole situation is with the coronavirus on the planet right now, that there is also opportunities here. There are, there are, there are windows, there are doorways, there are, there are things that we can talk about 
uh, about how this may be, and uh, we don't know for sure, we're just hypothesising here as futurists, uh, that there, there are good uh, pointers and directions here about uh, about literally a consciousness change available on the planet, so to speak. Uh, can we expand on that a little bit here today? Yeah, sure. So, you know, from the biggest perspective, the, the main theme here, which, which of course most people are probably not aware of, uh, apart from listeners to our show, is this global consciousness shift from uh, the, the scientific industrial to the, the postmodern or relativistic. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of people realise that there's a shift going on, but most people don't have a map for it. Mm. That's my point, um, which is taking us from a very individually way of being human to a new communal way of being human. And when we understand that general flow, you know, we can actually start to predict the kind of responses that we would expect from people mm. who are still living in countries where there's an individual theme dominating or people mm. who are in countries where there's a communal theme dominating. And the, in reality, there are multiple shifts underway simultaneously. It's not just yeah. from, you know, layer five to layer six in Graves' model. There are obviously some countries like China, perhaps, where... Um, layer four is very, very strong and that worked in their favour in terms of everybody conforming to the mm. orders, you know, of the government and doing their duty. Yes, that's a very important point, isn't it? That some places literally are much much easier for them to do exactly that than our sort of individual cultures like our own and the United States, the United Kingdom, most of Europe or some of Europe, which will, you know, people hanging on to their self, their identity, their, uh, their solo needs and desires uh, much stronger than in other countries. Yeah, that's right. And uh, probably in countries like the US and Australia, there's still going to be a fairly strong individually themed uh, type of behaviour. Um, but, you know, all of these countries are in transition, so there'll be parts of Australia and the US that are happy to fall in line, you know, and other parts where people are still going to go to the beach and do their thing, as we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very true. Uh, and and depending upon the, the mindset of the, the government, of course, uh, they may dictate uh, or they may seek to exploit opportunities that arise as a result of this uh, big disturbance from the virus, uh, for example, by passing new laws. Uh, and, uh, you know, we might also see countries that are just extremely supportive and very humanistic about it, where there's a strong uh, layer six element in government. Right. Ross, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it interesting that um, the relativistic layer that uh, many countries are moving towards um, was originally described by uh, Claire Graves as a sacrifice now in order to get acceptance now? And often when we talk yeah. about it, we talk yeah. about this, um, you know, willing to change myself to fit into a, a group or a community or, or whatever it is, um, and I'm changing myself so that I'm accepted by the group. But uh, he also wrote the alternative theme for this layer is sacrifice now in order for all to get now um, and I think it's, it's a quite interesting description because right now we are looking at various sacrifices mm. of the community of the country, of ourselves um, for the benefit of everyone uh, but it also strikes me as fascinating that this is also a, a new space for everyone and so it doesn't mean we're necessarily that good or um, almost accurate or experienced at it yet so are we making the right sacrifices who knows I think most people would say we are making sacrifices but mm. are they measured and do they fit in and are they sustainable that is a big question mm. yeah absolutely something else that I'm starting to pick up on which is really really interesting is what seems like a convergence of interest between the value systems at this point 
you, you know, the uh, I mean, take for example uh, the Australian government, which is well known at the moment for its self-interest. Uh, all of a sudden, it's it's swapped to being very, very community interested. Yeah. And so, some of some of the things that they're pushing for are probably things that are going to you know be okay with uh, people. Uh, from layer six and, and layer four, for example, um, it's just a, a question of the, the mechanisms, you know, that they're going to try and use to get those things to happen. Yeah. But it's very, very interesting. I mean, it, it definitely seems, and I'd be interested in your opinion from an astrological point of view, Nick. Yeah. It different, definitely seems like there's a forcing and accelerating. It's almost like we've been sort of squeezed into a venturi or something, you know, to speed yeah. things up. And, yeah. yeah, well, certainly uh, those who are interested in, in the, the bigger and the deeper levels of astrology as a map, not as a cause, by the way. It's not a causal thing. It's a reflection. It's like reading a book, uh, of a sort of multidimensional book, perhaps, of, of what's what uh, the, the themes and the changes and the energies that are moving uh, through us all uh, happening. And certainly at this time, people are saying that it's like a once-in-a-2,000-year uh, various conjunctions of uh, planets this particular year, but particularly this week or this month, the various very, very strong. Mars, Jupiter, uh, Pluto and Saturn all in Capricorn in various in a sort of wave-like configuration of, of, of conjoinings that can only say things are falling apart, things are being revealed, uh, a lot of uh, energies out there, a lot of martial law, martial energy is there, that Martian energy that's crossing over as well, saying yes, we're going to put regulations in place for your safety. But it's in the context that we are seeing the failure of the systems that underpin our societies. And I think this is probably one of the key things that that we're having to face. And I know you, you posted a piece from the BBC the other day about the UK health system, which is regarded as one of the best in the world, and yet it is already under, knows itself that it is going to reach its capacity to deal with this uh, virus very quickly. And that pretty well applies to most of our institutions that uh, underpin our, our industrial era paradigm that we live in. So that, that revelation is very much um, shown there in astrology that, uh, you know, uh, the, the emperor has no clothes, basically, and scrambling desperately to, to maintain control and do and, and try and do the right thing, which I think people are generally trying to do now out there, governments. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I think it's important to remember the overall momentum that we have in this shift towards mm. layer six. Uh, and the old system is failing, so it really doesn't matter how hard they try to <laughs> make things like they used to be, their efforts are generally not going to succeed. Mm. Yeah. We'll take a little break here. We're talking to Steve McDonald, our regular co-host of this show, Future Sense, over there in Edinburgh in Scotland on the way back home. A couple of texts have come in. Uh, thanks for those. I'll just mention them quickly before we do. Thanks for another great show. Uh, Re-essential services. We've, we'll come back to talk about with that with Steve probably too as well in a little while. Um, this writer, Sandy, said, I ordered a few things online on 8th of March. Australia Post received them on the 11th of March, then nothing on tracking tools, nothing. Just a one-liner on Australian Post about delays. Wow, yes, I guess they are busy. Perhaps getting mail moving is essential for people waiting on important deliveries. Mine was not life-threatening. And that's interesting, given that Australia Post, of course, and all postal services on the world are becoming uh, less and less, uh, you know, relevant. But right now, they are relevant again somehow. Mm. Uh, thanks for that. Also, someone else has just, we'll come back to that in a second. The other text here is for our information, two large black four-wheel drive public order and riot vehicles are parked outside the Byron police station. So there you go. May mean nothing. 
Um, but uh, yeah, that's good. Are you going to say something about the posts, Ross? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, the comment about the postal deliveries, uh, also international cargo. You know, there's so many uh, passenger flights that aren't travelling, but we forget that there's cargo in the bottom of a lot of those, and so there's a lot of packages and, and deliveries that are, are not happening all of a sudden. Yeah, good point. Um, so those are being grounded. Yeah. But just like the discussion with the internet, and you know, there's this broad discussion of it's getting busier. Should we just block Netflix? Um, it's it's fascinating because it's it's really a um, traditional way of looking at things and, and filtering things, mm. and uh, there's there's not really a discussion yet about which deliveries are important, mm. um, and you know so if you can't really mark your postal delivery as urgent or not urgent, yeah. uh, and so things will hopefully get more granular over time mm. so that urgent things can be delivered urgently and less urgent things can can take the slow route. Yeah, good. We'll be back very shortly here on BFM on Future Sense. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. You are on Future Sense at 10.02 here with Nick Jeans and Rossville and Steve McDonald, who is in Edinburgh in Scotland. We are talking to uh, about the coronavirus and all things and particularly more about what what uh, is it pointing us to? What is, are the changes that we can look for? What are the sources of information that might be important to us? And in terms of sources of information, we were just talking offline there about, about the trusting of source and sources. Uh, and I've noticed a lot of people in this region, for example, who normally being relatively politically progressive, green, left wing, if you will, generally on that side of the uh, of the political spectrum, uh, are tending to, for the first time, be a, a little bit more um, in alignment with the authorities. People who don't normally at all trust politicians, especially of the of the coalition variety in this country, uh, or even uh, health industries, education, all these uh, you know these institutions which are once upon a time law, legal institutions once upon a time the sort of bastions of our culture for many people we don't trust these institutions anymore in fact probably the the trust in these institutions is at an all-time low but suddenly uh, we're we're having to trust these institutions and a lot of people are and that's rather interesting so you've got some interesting pieces there Ross about that yeah, there's a report from Edelman uh, from a survey they did in 10 different countries mm. early March um, and it said the most credible source is employer communications. Hmm. Um, so I thought that was interesting. The most credible source is employer communications. The most relied upon source of information is mainstream news. And the most trusted spokespeople are scientists and doctors. Hmm. Uh, and so that was quite interesting because 85% of the survey respondents said they want to hear more from scientists and less from politicians. Okay. Um, and nearly 60% of the respondents worried that the crisis is being exaggerated for political gain. Um, so, again, none of this is surprising, but it's, it's good to have some, some numbers behind it. Uh, but I did think the, the credible source being employer communications was quite fascinating mm. um, because there are very different value sets, you know, concurrently running in, in society. And the, the people who you choose to work with every day are probably of a, a similar or a supportive mindset and value set to you. Mm. So it's interesting that that may be suggesting a, a sort of gap between some of the leadership in our organisations that we choose to spend our time with day by day, and then the political system, which yeah. is, is fixed across the whole country. Yeah, yeah. Steve, what's, uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, quite interesting. I mean, usually when people are put under pressure, they will shift their values to some extent, and uh, it, it can go either way. Some people might go to a, a more complex set of values. Some people might regress to a, a simpler set of values. 
But um, one thing's for sure, when there's a common problem that everyone needs to solve, it does bring people together more than anything else. And I guess we saw extreme examples of that in the world wars, of course, you know, where there was a common enemy that people could all look at uh, and focus their efforts uh, towards. And the same thing, I'm sure, is happening to some extent here with this virus. It's, it's a common problem that we all need to solve. And that does help us get over some of our own values differences, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting, you know, that we actually transcend those differences when when the common good is at play. And also um, scientific discoveries, research and development increase generally in those kind of extreme crisis periods. And you do get um, some very fast discoveries. And I think we're seeing that somewhat in the, the scientific space regarding uh, COVID-19 as well, though it's a bit hard to know exactly what uh, there are claims about, you know, vaccines coming online. There are claims about discoveries regarding the DNA. Uh, it's a bit hard to know exactly what the truth is and it, yet to find uh, um, applications for that that are obviously online at this point yet. Have you heard of anything out there, Steve, in the world and on a scientific basis regarding research? Um, nothing concrete. I mean, mm. certainly there's a lot of research going on. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are moving as fast as they can because whoever comes up with the first uh, vaccine, if, if they do ever find one, stands to make a lot of money out of it. Yeah. So that's def- definitely going to be a motivator for uh, the big pharmaceutical companies for sure. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit while we've got you on the line about economics. Uh, you've made the point in some uh, some communications with us in the last 24 hours or, or so regarding um, uh, ec- econo- ec- economics and money generally and the notion that with all these in- incredible uh, bailouts, if you will, or these uh, government handouts, whatever you want to call them, that are coming online and the incredible uh, volatility of the stock markets around the world, uh, how does that add up financially? And also, as you point out, Steve, you know, in third world countries, of course, where monetary and fiscal policy is, uh, well, it, it breaks down much easier because they're already on, a, on an edge. Uh, everything is a bit different in those places. And you saw that, of course, when you were in the military in Somalia in the, in the early 90s, this kind, of, uh, this kind of idea where, you know, a lot of our, uh, our projections onto the uh, way people are going to behave do not apply when it comes to other countries that are not first world. Yeah, that's very true, uh, and it counts for a lot more than just economics, of course. Mm. And a lot of the discussions that are going on right at the moment are still separated by that sort of first world, uh, second world, third world, you know, uh, gap that we have. And yeah. uh, just uh, let's just talk about economics for a second, I guess. Um, the fact is that the world has been headed for a major economic collapse for a long time and this year was flagged years ago as being a critical turning point and particularly by Martin Armstrong Mm -hmm. uh, and his computer algorithm and that has proved to be accurate once again his computer is pretty reliable actually Uh, so even though it looks like this virus has disrupted the economy actually the economy was already tipping over (laughs) and this has just been you know the last straw i guess and uh from what i've read most economists are really scratching their head and trying to you know trying to figure out what happens next because there's money being promised and spent that basically isn't there but of course governments can just print money these days whenever they want to and then what are the downstream effects of that? Yeah. Uh, you know, usually um, inflation and those sorts of things. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. I don't think anybody has the answers. What I can say is that um, 
Martin Armstrong has been predicting uh, this, the kind of obstacles that have been showing up over the last uh, couple of years in relation to economic collapse and particularly the problems in, in Europe. And he has come out and said that some of the major obstacles he saw uh, and couldn't figure out how they would be removed in terms of you know progressing our economic system have actually shifted as a result of this virus. Mm. Uh, and um, and that is going to have major, major implications on how we come out the other side of it. I don't think anybody's got a really clear picture yet, but all we can say for sure is that it's not going to be the same as it was. Hmm. I mean, he also claims in a couple of those recent uh, on com folks that um, numerous political people apparently sold their stocks on insider information in the USA and Europe um, high-level elites there tipped off about what was going to happen and they were sold on the ECM which is his economic confidence model that we talk about here on the show quite often and that there was a curious uh, fact that the sales took place uh, just after two days after his confidence model uh, predictions suggesting that some people out there you know, with the money some of the elites uh, knew what was happening more so than uh, than most people did, but that's kind of obvious in one sense, isn't it? Or is there something in this? What do you think about this? Look, I, I really can't say that there's anything in it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the fact is that he forecast the 18th of January as an economic turning, turning point, yeah, and yeah. it certainly has turned out that way. Mm. Um, with his ECM turning points, the action doesn't always happen on the day, but usually it follows, you know, soon after the date, and, and we saw that happen. Uh, whether these people were simply acting on his advice or not, yeah. uh, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to think that's the case. One thing he he did say was most unusual is normally when people are going to respond to some economic turning point like that, there's a limit to the kinds of commodities um, that they will get out of or investments okay. that they'll get out of, mm. and uh, and it broke you know the normal rule this time around. So people were doing things that they don't normally do. Mm. Um, but again, you know, in, in terms of being able to, to say for sure what was going on, we just don't have any confirmed information around that right now. I mean, as I've been saying right from the start on our show, there are a lot of things that don't add up about this virus outbreak in the first place. And also, secondly, uh, you know, what seemed to be a, a very um, heavy-handed uh, response, to, you know, to the virus and even though, you know, it's, the situation is not good and, and I would urge anybody listening to you know, follow all of the instructions that we're getting because we really need to get it under control. Um, but still, you know, there are, I think when we look back on it in some years' time and we have more information, we're going to find that things weren't exactly as they seemed. Mm, yes, I think that's quite likely. Ross, anything to add there? Yeah, it is interesting, um, you know, looking forward and more into the, the hypothetical spaces um if we are responding to the virus in such a big way um will we also start responding to other major issues and health issues in a similar fashion um you know i, I find it fascinating yeah. that each day on average three thousand people die in car crashes yeah um and it's a number that we most most people don't know about but it's it's a huge number um, and, you know, what if we did put this many resources into a different issue? Mm. Um, you know, what if we did put this many resources into other forms of health as well? Um, you know, the, the Italian statistics from the, the government there have said that the, 
most virus fatalities come from people with pre-existing conditions. And I think that's that's also an interesting space because in the Western society, I don't think we talk about pre-existing conditions or hidden conditions that you can't see on the surface as much. Um, And so this may actually give us a bit of reflection and insight onto how much we do value health. Um, And so I'd expect to see a huge burst into, um, you know, more wellness activities and and different types of health um, on the other side of this. Mm. Mm. Very good. Yeah. um, One thing that I have sort of figured out is that the the critical factor in terms of our response really is uh, our capacity to handle emergency cases or critical care cases. And that relies on having the staff, the hospital beds, and in the case of uh, COVID-19 ventilators uh, to help people breathe. Uh, And, you know, I, I was working as a rescue helicopter pilot back in the 90s and there were no pandemics going on at the time, no, nothing unusual. It was all pretty much, you know, business as normal. And I would, from time to time, get told not to fly to a certain hospital because they were out of beds, but to take a patient to a different hospital in a different town. And I, I think, you know, that's a, a pretty good measure of what mm. the scientific industrial mindset, the layer mindset has done to our health system because yeah. the, the, that mindset is all about efficiency and it's all about profits. Mm. And you don't want to spend money on things that aren't necessary. And so the the efficiency has become so efficient that we've actually got no fat in the system whatsoever. And then it doesn't take very much at all to actually make the system fall over. Mm. Uh, And uh, that piece that I I sent around um, between us earlier in the week, which was an interview with an A&E doctor from the UK here, um, you know, you could hear the alarm in his voice that they, they weren't coping. He was worried about getting to the point where he had more patients than ventilators and then having to decide which patients actually get the ventilators and live and which patients, uh, you know, die. Um, And it hasn't got that bad here yet, and let's hope it doesn't. But it just goes to show how fragile our systems are and the the opposite of that is to have sustainable systems and of course that theme applies right across the board in terms of this value shift from layer 5 to layer 6. You know, we're going from profit-focused efficiency to long-term sustainability and regeneration, and that has to happen right across the board, including our health system. Mm. Very good. Beautiful. We'll take a break there here on Future Sense. It's 10, 16 a.m., and we're talking to Steve McDonald over there in Edinburgh in Scotland and Ross Hill here in the studio with me in Bay FM in Byron Bay in Byron Shire, New South Wales, Australia. If you're tuning in via podcast, good day to you. Hello. Thanks for joining us here. Podcasts are available usually within about 24 hours of this show uh, via futuresense.org. IT or any other of your platforms for for podcast listening. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. You're on Future Sense. It's 10.21 here. Uh, myself, Nick Jeans, Ross Hill is in the studio, and Steve McDonald, my uh, my normal co-host, is over there in Edinburgh in Scotland. We're just going to talk a bit more to Steve about a couple of these issues. Uh, we're talking there about the medical system and the breakdown of that or the likelihood um, and the, the relationship of that to the current paradigm of uh, efficacy and efficiency and getting things you know delivered at the lowest possible cost to the most people as quickly as possible. But that's not really the result of that. What we're seeing now 
now is uh, is um, immediately a strain on all of these systems. Um, the critical point medically, uh, you're suggesting, Steve, off air just before that the way that governments around the world are responding is because they are aware that public unrest, and we certainly don't, don't want to put any fear in anybody's hearts here, but public unrest regarding the failure of medical systems could be fairly intense going forward. What's, uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, if we think about the global paradigm shift and you know the values moving from scientific industrial to what's next, which is layer six, relativistic, postmodern, uh, going back, to the 60s in particular, you know, we saw mm. a, a wave of public demonstrations, people disagreeing with government policy, protesting against the Vietnam War, those sorts of things. And and that was a little warning flag for the mainstream um, thinkers at the time. And they did a lot. You know, they changed, they, they introduced the war on drugs and a whole bunch of other things to try and manage that to, mm. to uh, smash it down again. And they did quite successfully to some extent. And here it is again, starting to rise. You know, if you think back to last year, we had the Extinction Rebellion protests, yeah. uh, particularly here in the UK, uh, and Hong Kong was going off and those sorts of things. So yellow yellow vests in France, yeah. Exactly, yeah, in many places. So it's a very tense time for government. And you've got to remember that the, these governments are operating according to the old paradigm, and they're trying to figure out how to fix this, which appears as a problem to them, and all they've got in their toolkit are the old ways of doing things, mm -hmm. you know, and so they'll keep trying the old ways, which, which are inevitably not working so well. So in the context of that, you can understand why there's been such a sudden global reaction to this problem, because the last thing that governments want is to have their own systems overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. and as well as, you know, this general murmur that's happening within the global population saying that things need to change. Mm. Um, you know, so, uh, and, and really the critical point, as we were just saying before the break, is the, the health system because our health system has no excess capacity, you know, on a, on a normal uh, day mm. in, in mm. most hospitals in Western countries at least, you know, they're struggling to find extra beds yeah. and those sorts of things and they're struggling for staff and then you throw a, a pandemic in the pot and, and it can very quickly overwhelm the system. Yeah. So, um, it, I also just want to mention that this is a very, very first world issue. Uh, you know, the the idea of panicking in a hospital because we've run out of ventilators. I mean, there are places around the world that don't have ventilators. Uh, and w we need to remember that. And that's, that's part of the issue here too, is in mm. bringing the world together, is that we have to try as best we can to bring, you know, the world up to some kind of, level, of a level playing field. And yes. that's very much the theme of layer six. Mm because there are places in the world where they have what we in the, in the first world would say a terrible, terrible crisis, you know, that's just operations normal for them. Mm. Uh, you know, they don't have the facilities, the medical facilities or the hospitals or the trained doctors that we have. And it's important to remember that. Yes, indeed. You used the uh, wonderful analogy before that we've got this kind of on-off switch with all of this going at the moment, so either this or that, whereas really we need a much, uh, a much more sophisticated uh, way of responding. W what would it look like uh, in a prospective future of a dis different kind of medical system, a health system, for example? What would it look like in response to this kind of situation we're now in? Well, I'm, I'm thinking back to my time in the military where, you know, the, the, the military is all about uh, handling chaos and responding to chaotic situations and the way that it does that is it 
prepares and trains people and it keeps stockpiles of, of equipment that might be used, for example. Mm. And it, it's we really need to try and extend that mindset, you know, into civilian society in terms of understanding what, what are our major threats now and we're, we're moving into a time where the world is going to be more peaceful. I mean, that's one of the main themes of layer six consciousness is that we're actually moving beyond wanting to, to kill each other. And so how can we take advantage of the things that we've done in the past and the experience we have, you know, to bring some of that uh, increased management capacity to issues like public health, for example. And what that would look like is, um, you know, having a very, very um, focused uh, health intelligence system so that we keep track of future threats that we might need to face. Um, putting resources and, you know, maybe resources that we would normally spend on bombs and uh, warships <laughs> into public health uh, to make sure that we have a an excess of people available on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, in the military, they do that kind of thing through training reserves, you know, so they have people who are, they're not as well trained as, uh, let's, let's put it in a health context, they're not as well trained as a, a full-time emergency doctor, but they might just have specialist training on how to help uh, intubate a patient who needs to be on a ventilator, for example. Um, so we could have people like that who were trained, maybe, maybe that's not their regular day job, but in times of need when we need to call on extra people, they're there, they're already trained, they know how to help a doctor ventilate a patient or maybe they know how to ventilate a patient. Uh, and, and of course, stockpiles of the equipment that we ne would need. Yeah. And with the world changing the way it is, you know, we're likely to be seeing more pandemics in the future. A lot of people have been saying this for a long time. Mm. It's just that no one's been actually acting on the advice. Hmm. Well, as you said, of course, when the world is dominated by, in Graves' model, by layer five, um, that those resources uh, for future possibilities like that are not likely usually to go, uh, to be uh, allocated in that way, are they? And that's a, that's a really big change that we're literally being forced to address and hopefully some real changes will be made, as you're, as you're suggesting there. Yes, absolutely. So... Um, you know, when you don't have options to solve a problem, um, you end up having uh, to, to sort of think like an on-off switch. You know, you either do what you can or you do nothing. And that's really what we're seeing globally at the moment from most countries now is it's like, okay, we, we don't have any options apart from let's just throw everything at this and do everything and let's shut everything down. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and there's, there's no real measured response going on in most countries, although there some countries there has been, and I think Singapore probably stands out yeah. as a good example from what I've been reading because they, they did a lot of intensive testing. You know, they, they put a lot of... Uh, measure into their response that we just haven't seen in other countries. Um, also so important it's, it's kind of like the difference. Singapore can do that because they have such incredible surveillance. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty small place, um, but they have some yes. of the best tracking in the world, uh, whereas other countries have been a bit more um, maybe secretive in some respects about it. We have the metadata collection here with all of the ISPs, but it's not something that's really discussed uh, in, in how it's being used. Uh, whereas Singapore just went straight to it and said, we're going to track everyone. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Ross. And, you know, we should remember that we do have the capacity to do it in Australia. You know, we've been tracking mobile phones for a long time, but it's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the government the government doesn't want everybody to think that they're doing it all the time to to our citizens. But if we really had to, we could. We have the capability. Yeah, and Singapore have been doing it. China have been doing it. 
it is it is an interesting. Um, but of course, those are and those are societies which are which are more uh, regimented, more strict, more rigorous in their uh, in their control of their population anyway. Hmm. So it's yeah. much more receptive uh, already in those populations for these kind of um, strategies. Yeah. Yeah, so in terms of response, you know, ideally you don't want an on-off switch. And, you know, I, I'm thinking back again to my military experience where um, there were cases in history where military forces had to try and control uh, populations of civilians who might be rioting or, you know, threatening the government or whatever, but they weren't armed. And, and what can the military do? I mean, in the old days, all they had was a rifle and it was either shoot or don't shoot, you know. And, and of course, there were some terrible uh, occasions um, that have gone down in history where soldiers did shoot unarmed civilians, you know, mm. because they had no other choice. And what the military did over time was they learnt to actually... Um, equip themselves to be able to do things other than shoot people, you know, to to have like riot gear and behave like police and those sorts of things, mm. and um, and that so that kind of general concept needs to be transferred across to to this problem that we're facing now. So it's not just okay everything or nothing. We we have instead of an on off switch, have, we have a volume knob and we yeah. can adjust the volume, you know. And as things get a little bit worse, if if needs be, we can adjust the volume a little bit more. Up to eleven and and. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and that there's there's data coming through now, uh, so we can learn from you know what we know has been the experience in other countries, uh, China and, and Italy in particular. That there are certain parts of the population who are way more vulnerable than other parts of the population, and so if from the very start we could focus on the more vulnerable and protect them and make sure that they were you know uh, looked after. Um, that would be an example of like a, a moderated response rather than just hitting the, the on switch and, mm. and hitting everybody. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's what happens when you don't prepare for things. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Also, the, the shift in how much information we have now is, is really profound and incredible just in the last few years. You know, the, the iPhone is only 11 years old now, so um, things are rapidly changing. And I think, Steve, you mentioned something about the trucks at the police station being a uh, a usual thing as well. Oh yeah, because we had a text in a couple of uh, black Ford uh, public order riot vehicles outside the Byron Police Station. We don't want to get you fearful about that because they, they do they do turn up uh, apparently, as Steve said, at, at school holidays. But it ain't school holidays quite yet here. Uh, they are in Victoria, but uh, yeah, they're there. So there you go. But well, if the school holidays are coming, if the school it holidays is are coming. They may be. They may be, be preparing before. That's that's good. Um, yeah, I, I've I've often scratched my head in the past wondering why the riot squad is in Byron Bay during. It's usually schoolies week in particular. Yeah, that's you know, right. That they come around the end yeah. of the year, but it's overkill. But they do it. Yeah. Well, they're scary. Those kind of vehicles, aren't they? Black four drive vehicles like that. You know, they just their very presence can uh, can do something to some people. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's the idea. That's, that's the, the idea. idea, Nick. That's the idea. <laughs> oh, that's the, oh, really? You think? Oh. Engendering more fear. We've got a, we've got a text in, uh, Steve, before we maybe let you go, because we're, we're moving through with time here, but uh, we've got a text in, which is an interesting one, about science. We were sort of talking about um, technological developments here, and this is from our, our listener, Dudley, always listening to us. Hi, Dudley. Uh, your comments regarding the double-edged sword nature of much of technology developments... Uh, which can potentially be of great value and or of great threat to public well-being. Getting the great benefits of technological development without the... Um, just jump there, pardon me. Without the need to fear and resist it will only be achieved when we know we can trust all involved. That means all people who are 
disseminating science, I guess. This might sound fanciful, but it is not impossible in realising this can focus us on the great potential of developing the understanding that we all belong to the one human family and all are part of the one living planet. So just, yeah, the question there being, you know, how do we discern between uh, positive technological use and other? And also maybe a question for Steve. Um, as as we usually expect a, a slingshot effect and a, a regressive step before going forward to the new layer, um, what should we keep an eye out for in terms of the distinctions between, you know, a rigid one right way and maybe a more forward-looking relativistic response? Hmm. That, that's good because it's the same answer to both questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, essentially, uh, you know, the, the double-edged sword thing is really about human values and uh, which human with what values is using the technology. And, and you can break that down to is it self-serving or is it serving the greater good? It's as simple as that. Mm. So what we should look for as we're moving forward is decentralisation of authority um, away from centralised government and empowering communities and, yeah. and that's a really really strong theme of the emerging layer six so when we see that kind of stuff happening you know that's a very very positive sign yes yes very good another text just coming we are learning that we truly does matter first and foremost before i win-win for all is not optional so sadly painful this for me this win-loss paradigm says the writer it has to end Care and love, Nick and Steve and Ross. Uh, the change is too late for myself, but wonderful to know future we's and my child will enjoy the better world to come. That's a positive take. Thank you for that. Yeah. That's great. And that, again, is, you know, very representative of this paradigm shift that we're in at the moment. And somewhere down the track, when we see this great leap into second-tier consciousness, we'll get to the point where we can apply individual values to problems that require that kind of solution and then mm. collective values to problems that require a collective solution. So, you know, it'll be more balanced. Yeah. Nice. Lovely. We'll, we'll leave you there, Steve. We'll let you go. Uh, thanks for joining us from Edinburgh, and we'll see you back uh, sometime in the next short period of time, um, back live in this region. Good to have. We'll be good to have you home and travel safely as you yeah, do so. Thanks, Nick and Ross, for holding the show down while I'm away. Much appreciated. Uh, greatly appreciated too. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. And you're tuned still to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Ross Hill here. And uh, we've been talking about all things, well, that are going on on the planet. I, you know, I said to you off air, Ross, it's interesting as you, as I do research, you come across all sorts of things. And this fell into my, uh, into my lap yesterday. And I thought it was kind of interesting. I'm just hypothesizing or just thinking about it for myself. Uh, 30 years ago in, um, in November was uh, the, the date of the fall of the Berlin Wall. And um, that is pretty interesting in itself. But Back in 1973, an East German psychiatrist, Dietrich uh, Müller-Hegemann, observed that his patients who lived close to the Berlin Wall showed higher rates of psychosis, schizophrenia and phobias. Those East Germans who lived in the shadow of the wall suffered rage, dejection and alcoholism and were more likely to kill themselves. And the closer to the physical wall his patients lived, the more acute their disorders. And um, when the wall came down, it was, an it was an incredible emotional climax that was observed of the unloading and the cathartic breaking through of the unconscious after the, those years of repression behind the wall. And this writer has also witnessed that, that sufferers of the disease uh, exist in Palestine in Cyprus, in Belfast, and along the US-Mexico border, where there's supposedly a war going up, but there isn't even a war, but there's a wall there, of course. 
and our contemporary walls and barriers continue to inflict psychic pain on those that live in their shadows. The psychic walls and barriers. And I'm, two sides of this, what I want to just bring up very briefly as a sort of philosophical discussion is at this time with this with social isolation, social distancing, uh, forced um, quarantining, if you will, one way or the other, uh, it's creating a certain set of walls. But it also is an opportunity to not... Uh, find yourself sort of in a, in a psychosis behind that wall. Mm. There's an opportunity there for a different kind of response, I think, offered here. Yeah, I think it's um, it's particularly noticeable because uh, the the value set we're moving into is really driven mm. by human connection, uh, and so we're looking for human connection more than ever. And yet mm. there are these walls. Yeah. At the same time, the walls are getting more subtle. So the Berlin Wall was a physical brick wall that you could walk up and you could see it, and it was pretty obvious. Mm. Um, whereas these are you know, a few meters around us in isolation, they're kind of moving walls and we carry them everywhere, but you can't see them, but you can see them because you do have this response. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's it's a fascinating thing. Um, I was just chatting with uh, my friend and an, an online teacher, Will, and he said that he's noticing um, the, the, the teachers he's working with uh, just, you know, having a difficult time about working online. Um, because there was this underlying stress already and people aren't used to dealing with situations where there's no plan at all. Um, so a lot of these responses that we have are being made up on mm. the spot, mm. uh, which does you know, force some level of creativity. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is interesting because you know, we usually spend quite a bit of energy avoiding the unknown and mm. yet here it is as a great wall, unavoidable, and yeah. so we're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, that's true. So, and also, on one hand, not to not to fall behind the wall into into a depression, psychosis, and or addictions, or you know, compulsions that, that are not healthful for you. But also, in, on the other side of that, I'm thinking too. The paradox being that, to some degree, we probably all do need to. Uh, find our own selves within our own, you know, boundaries hmm. more so than we have in this independent, uh, eye-centered era that we've been living in. Yes, nevertheless, everything's sort of leaking from one thing to the other. Fake news, you know, we don't know what the truth is. We're overwhelmed. We're confused. We don't know where to go for our sources and so forth. So, in some ways, to retreat into your own space potentially can be very good. And as you say, and it can be creative. It can be that, uh, but not to fall on to go too far that way and to sort of lose yourself in being isolated. Yeah. Uh, and that is to go to, as we said earlier in the show, the tone of our response now. What's the tone of your response? How do you find a place to be measured but not fearful, to follow instructions, to be, but to be realistic about them too, etc., etc. Yeah. And it's, it's probably good to be conscious of, of not being too isolated, but also not running away from the isolation. Um, you know, <laughs> exactly. it, is, it is a great reset that's happening, yeah. and we've got these reminders everywhere of, of rethinking some of our fixed habits because yeah. they're right in front of our face, and it's very easy, and I think it, it happens you know, every hour of we're looking around doing something that we usually do, and then you have that fear and panic that rises of like, hang on, I can't do that, what yeah. about this and what about that? And um, it's very easy to get carried away with that, yeah. um, and yeah. it's it's pretty important just to remember that step one is to breathe (laughs) step two breathe again (laughs) and then just carry on and if you stop breathing then you've definitely got problems Um, and And chuckle and chuckle chuckling chuckling is good a bit of a laugh there's some some funny stuff out there I was almost going to play a couple of funny uh, funny things that have crossed over regarding the coronavirus but they're almost a little bit too edgy here and there, you know. You, you don't know what, what people are going. I mean, I played that track before from Bjork called called Virus. Some people might not like that, but uh, well, there's a know, lot of paradox, and I think there's uh, a lot of paradox, it's, and it's that's probably part healthy of the not whole to exactly. jump to quick conclusions as well. Um, totally. I just saw a note yeah. from Tinder, which is all about hooking up and swiping oh, uh, yeah, left and say? right. Uh, well, it's interesting because the no, immediate response swiping. might be uh, you got to wipe and then swipe. Wipe and then swipe. <laughs> 
<laughs> but also don't necessarily go out and hook up tonight. No. <laughs> and so what's interesting is their yeah, response... Yeah, because you might end up with that person for the next two weeks. <laughs> you may indeed. <laughs> their response has been to unlock a feature called Passport where you can pretend to be anywhere in the world. Uh, and so you can start swiping from, from different places oh, okay. in the world, keep chatting with people, keep mm. swiping, mm. but don't necessarily meet uh, tonight mm. for a little while. Good point. <laughs> it does make me think about uh, also some of the social media. We've been talking about that today and some of the platforms and some of the use of the net that, that Ross was talking about, particularly earlier in the show today. But I did notice a local group. I think it's a local group called the Kindness Pandemic, which has an incredible number very quickly of people joined up and a lot of interaction, a lot of chatting going on, a lot of comments going on there, which just goes to show that, you know, in this space we can focus on the things that matter. We yep. can actually create a kindness with each other, a care for each other. And there's been quite a lot of social groups online too, I do believe, social media platforms, which uh, people have set up little groups locally, neighbourhoods, so forth, to offer services, to take some food to an elderly neighbour up the road, these kind of things. So we're seeing this real sort of return to a, to a, a tribalism in a sense, a better sense of local community and tribalism, of localisation, of resilience locally, but actually um, you know, uh, created by the, the availability of our technolo technological platform that exist that we can use to facilitate that. So uh, interesting times, to say the least. <laughs> it certainly is. And it, it's a good point to make that uh, mm. we, we think of all these websites as like distinct websites a lot of the time, but most of them are actually just fancy messaging apps. So you might be on a knitting website, but you can message people directly. <laughs> you might be on a you know grocery page, you can message someone. On Tinder, you can message people. That every reminds every you app's that, a messaging app. That person at the cafe we were at yesterday with a, with a, a ball of wool tattooed on her arm with, with two knitting needles through the ball of wool. I found that very interesting yeah. tattoo. I don't know a what lot that of means. knitting opportunities at the moment. A lot of knitting, knitting opportunities. We're going to go. Thanks very much uh, for joining us here on Future Sense and as we've been saying if you want to tune in uh, later to the podcast in, within 24 hours usually futuresense.it that's the uh, podcast which is usually edited into two or three sections. We do take out the music which is great that we play but nevertheless we take the music out and we take out the sponsorship announcements and so forth and just let you leave you with the meat in the sandwich um, but if you do want to listen to the music and the rest of the show you can also go on to the Bay FM website to the program page of Future Sense and you can listen to any other full shows there and uh, you can also check out the music that we play if you're interested thanks for joining us thanks very much Ross for being here you may also be here next week we don't know yet um, or none of us will be here next week we'll be here somehow because Bay FM will keep broadcasting something because we'll be online somewhere we'll be online somewhere <laughs> thanks for being with us yeah You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.